but it's what lights you up. What do you want to spend your time doing? What are your strengths? And how do you want to bring that and show up in the world? Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I'm your host and chief goddess of the PASS Foundation, Annalise Corbin. We know the current model for education is obsolete. It was designed to create fleets of assembly line workers, not the thinkers and problem solvers needed today. We've seen the innovations that are possible within education, and it's our goal to leave the box behind and reimagine what education can look like in your own backyard. Welcome to today's episode of Learning Unboxed. As always, I'm excited to talk with another great innovator in the transformative education space. And today we are going to be talking about workforce development as a positive disruptor in how we think about education. And joining us today is Kelly Cassaro, Chief of Learning at Generation. So Kelly, welcome to Learning Unboxed. Thank you so much for having me. We are very excited to have you here as well. And so let's start by setting some context for our listeners as we get started. Generation is a global employment nonprofit network that supports people to achieve economic mobility so they can change their lives. They train and place adults into careers that would otherwise be inaccessible and seek to improve how education to employment systems function. Generation launched in 2015 and consists of a global hub and network of in-country affiliates that span 17 countries. And Kelly will give us more details, but one other thing that I want to add in before we talk about what this all means um, is the fact that Kelly is also an educator. Uh, She spent plenty of time in the K-12 space, and I'm sure that that will come through in the conversation. And she is also the author of an upcoming book called Shift Teaching Forward, a practical guide to prepare students and job seekers for the demands of the modern workplace, which will be released in February of 2024. Super excited about that as well. So Kelly, let's start with this idea of this organization generation. So why why do we need this thing? And and what was what was so important about 2015 that sort of launched this new initiative that, quite frankly, is pretty remarkable in terms of the collective set of work that Generation is doing. Great. Thank you so much. So when Generation was founded in 2015, it was based on years of research to really uncover why were there so many individuals that couldn't find work and so many employers who couldn't find talent. So how do we bridge that gap? And so there was research on education to employment organizations, and there were some that may be working, you know, hyper-local at a smaller scale, but doing well, or some that just focused on some pieces of the journey, such as mentorship, but not the whole end-to-end solution. So we really looked to start an organization that could test a methodology in very different contexts around the globe. And when some look at the first five countries that we started in, they say, did you just close your eyes and point? Like they are quite different, right? Like Spain, for example, did have some college graduates that that couldn't find work, but it was different than, for example, the Mexico or India learners who were seeking employment. And so we really wanted to test our methodology in lots of different contexts so that we could really set our sights on scale. 
which we've been able to do with 90,000 plus learners to date. Which is really quite remarkable. And I do want to applaud the fact that when you decided to test, because as, as an anthropologist, I'll put my anthropology hat on. My listeners hear me say this all the time. I get really, really jazzed when we have these research methodologies or testing methodologies that are truly intended to learn as much as possible at the same time that they're doing a thing, right? And so I truly appreciate the fact that you said, look, let's test this thing in a variety of different places. And that you've recognized that the ecosystems of these locales are going to throw at your system, whatever that happens to be, a whole host of things that you may or may not have anticipated from the outset. So I'm super curious about the methodology in particular, the work that generation does and the way that you think about interacting both with those learners and the way you interact with those employers. So, so what, what's the methodology um, that you are out there trying to, to prove and expand and now scale upon? Sure. So we recruit, train, and place individuals into jobs that would be, you know, otherwise inaccessible. And we really focus on um, employer engagement from the start, which is something that was really hard for me. And we could talk about this later, but when I came from the K-12 space, because everything was, you know, learner-centered, learner-centered, and we still are learner-centered, but it's really interesting to think of if we're serving employers and we're sure that our graduates are coming to the employer ready on day one to to do the, the job and be best poised for promotion, then focusing on what an employer needs is focusing on what a learner needs, right? Because the learner or the graduate is going to be successful while on the job. So that was an interesting learning that we could talk about. Um, But really making sure that it's the jobs and employer engagement and that return on investment from the start, then recruiting learners based on the intrinsics effort and, you know, the employment standards that are needed for that profession. And then where my team comes in, either four to 16 weeks of profession-specific training, which focuses on the technical, behavioral skill and mindsets and social supports. And then um, we ask that um, our employers that we engage with guarantee interviews for immediate job placement. So we can't guarantee the the hire, but we can guarantee the, the interviews. And then the mentorship during and after the program and the alumni community that follows the graduates into the workplace. And then that return on investment for employers, students, and society. And then the last piece, the seventh step of our methodology, really is all throughout the data at the center. So we collect and analyze data to be able to translate the voices and experiences of our learners, employers, and program partners to actionable insights. And what you said, like continuously learning. That's why I love my job so much, because we are constantly learning and changing and evolving. And we have to be agile and say, this is working here. That's not working there. Yeah. I have so many questions. This is really, really quite (laughs) remarkable to me. So let's, let's circle, circle back around and let's go back to that learner because I can imagine folks sort of sitting back and listening to this conversation. They're like, okay, first, first things first. So why are so many people who have, either graduated 
from high school and or graduated from post-secondary or career tech, there's a whole host of pathways that people sort of find themselves in. So, so where are you seeing some commonalities or disconnect, if you will, sort of in that space around going from learner, everyday learner into active and engaged employment? So why is that happening? Because you mentioned inaccessible um, careers or inaccessible jobs or placements. And so why is that happening? Why why are we seeing this trend? And this is not throwing darts at folks, right? This is literally asking a question from the work that you're deeply engaged in. Where do you feel like some of this is coming from? So that's a very big I know. question. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what we do is when we are um, trying to identify like learners for our program going through the mobilization process, we do collect some data um, to say, you know, where where are you now? What are you looking for? And in some cases, there are um, individuals who have been looking for jobs for a long time and lack of experience. They're not getting past, you know, certain interview processes. We just recently, available on our website, generation.org, we recently um, published a launching a tech hiring revolution report, which is actually interesting here to this point where it identifies um, what are some things that we can do to diversify specifically the tech talent pool. And part of it is um, bringing back the entry-level job. <laughs> so that's that's one of them. Um, others are removing that degree requirement, right? The degree requirement is something that could be a barrier. Also, it could be the individuals not having confidence or seeing themselves in certain roles or professions. Um, a lot of times, you know, perhaps they were in a profession that didn't suit them and then couldn't find the next path because they hadn't been, the exposure isn't there, right? And also, you know, trying to find, you know, having dependents to support or, you know, disabilities. We tried, we focus on having our curriculum accessible to learners, especially our online curriculum. And so there, I mean, we could go, the list could go on and on, but those are some, some of the barriers to um, employment and employability. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that you, well, not just interesting, I think it's absolutely relevant, right? The fact that you you mentioned that, you know, as an individual learner or potential employee, you, you may not even fully understand the breadth and depth of opportunity that's available to you. And we certainly see this, right, in the K-12 space, especially as we get into high school, and the design development of sort of pathway components tied to helping people understand the career potential that's out there, you know, especially in a technological world that's shifting so incredibly quickly. It's really daunting and it can be overwhelming if you don't have a mechanism by which you can systematically be exposed to the potential career opportunities. And so there's a, there's a lot of career counseling, I suspect, that's part of this process. And so I'm super curious about the way 
way you think about that, both for the employers, right, to help them be prepared um, to be able to fill these jobs that they, they've identified that they need, but do they really have a comprehensive understanding about how people find themselves into that job, right? And I suspect the answer in many cases is maybe kind of, but sometimes no. Um, and then for the learners, the same sort of thing. How, how do learners figure out where to go? Yes, so a lot here to unpack. One piece that we didn't mention that I think is important is ensuring that um, the learners can feel that sense of belonging. So we have 17 different affiliate countries and they all have different ways to mobilize learners or different community partnerships to identify learners. And I think that being able to see themselves in roles, we do something called week zero in different countries where we can introduce before we even start the boot camp, we introduce the profession, we introduce the career pathway, we make sure that they're understanding the um, the strengths of the job, what individuals will say as challenges of that particular job. So we have those, we make sure that that is, is open to, to learners as well. And so when you, you're talking about the ecosystem of job possibilities, it, it sounds like because the, the needs and wants across 17 different countries are going to be pretty varied. Um, so just generally, what's, what are the spaces that Generation is occupying? Because I can imagine the listeners are really wondering about, well, are they just talking about jobs in technology? Are they talking about jobs in healthcare? Are they, you know, what are we talking about here? Yeah, this is a great question. So we are across now five different market sectors, and we have over 35 profession-specific programs. So this is within technology, green jobs, healthcare, customer service and sales, and skilled trades. So a technology role, for for example, would be like a junior software developer, so more of an entry-level role where the prerequisites or the university degree would not be necessary, or green jobs where there would be like a solar PV installer or retrofit advisor or a um, entry-level role within customer service and sales, maybe um, a front desk at a hospitality or um, a bank teller role, for example, or construction helper. And it depends on, we really do look at, um, we use Talent Neuron and other Um, sites to really look at the market demand. And so there may be certain years that we run some programs and certain years that we, you know, don't run others. It depends on what's in demand and what's been successful in that given region. And one thing that I think is important is that coming from a K-12 space where like curriculum development was really like we tried our best to customize it with the teachers you know, really listening to the needs of the learners. And when I was applying for generation, I thought there can't just be one curriculum to like serve across all of these countries and contexts. There's no way. And I actually, a little known fact is that I had originally pulled myself out of the hiring process because I thought I don't want to pretend like I am an expert in all of these sectors, right? Like this seems odd until... Uh, the person who was interviewing me said, wait, can can we just talk? Let me explain our approach. And it was quite different coming from the K-12 space, but I am so, so happy that I'm here now. So a few differences was that there are curriculum developers 
who really understand, you know, the backwards design and really understand how to take the employer needs, the learner needs, and the key goals that are agreed upon, you know, by employers in the sector, those performance goals and backwards plan, create comprehensive session plans that integrate the behavioral skills, the mindsets, the technical skills, but it's the marriage of the curriculum designer and the subject matter expert to validate and ensure that the content is up to date, accurate, et cetera. So all of those pieces are really important as well. And we go through a process that we call activity mapping, which is research for the role, which I would love to dive into at some point, um, which I think is really important and would be interesting to your listeners as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's let's just do that. Let's talk about that activity dive. Because the other thing that I, I can imagine that folks are going to be super curious about, and I would assume that there's a connection here, is, you know, we have to content... It's, it's tough to keep stuff up to date. So back to your point, right? Because the jobs are changing pretty rapidly and it would be really, really easy. And we absolutely see this in the K-12 space is, you know, our pathways, our programs, our curriculum get re- out of date really fast. It really does. That's true. So I'll talk about our activity mapping approach and then how we think about the monitoring and like constant update of the curriculum. So what we do when we identify that there is demand in a given country for a particular role, um, we do what's called activity mapping. So we shadow the individuals on the job for days on end, and we distill their job activities that go well beyond the job description. That was one of the biggest learnings that I had. I've been fortunate enough to travel the world, especially when I first started generation, not as much anymore, but with travel. But when I first started, I was able, lucky enough to be in construction sites in Texas, stitching machine factory in Pakistan. I've been in retail settings. I've been all over. And it has been so fascinating for me to see the commonalities across these different sectors and what we shadow the individuals on the job. And then we will do focus groups with high performers and low performers, like as situated by managers. Um, We will interview hiring managers, HR heads, supervisors, and we'll really understand what are these activities? And then what are the technical skills, behavioral skills, and mindsets important to do these activities well? And then what are the breakdown moments? Why do people quit and why do they get fired? And some people say that's common sense. And I'm like, And that's why it works, right? Because we are really looking and we do it in like a very comprehensive way. And we're really, really good with our, with the data that we collect. And so if you can look at those breakdown moments, why do people quit? Why do they get fired? And then capture those strategies to overcome those breakdown moments. And then we really create those performance goals that are necessary for success on the job and to be best poised for promotion, then we can create a training program where those graduates can demonstrate those skills that will ensure that they're ready. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. I'm super curious about this whole shadowing and watching of activities in a job. That's absolutely brilliant. Very cultural anthropology based. I love that. <laughs> um, but I but I think it would be intriguing, right? Because 
I would imagine one of the things that you discover is that job descriptions are woefully, I don't want to say inaccurate, but they're not comprehensive often, right? And the other thing that's really intriguing to me about human nature as it relates to jobs and jobs performances is humans tend to be highly adaptable and creative, right? And so in many jobs, because of the autonomy that's provided as part of just our day-to-day work, right? I would imagine that we we develop or adapt activities that were never necessarily the intent from our company or organization. And I'm super curious, as you're going through and you're observing and you're doing this activity mapping, you are finding a tremendous amount of talent or potential talent or even wasted time and talent, right? in those sorts of sets of activities. And how do you then take that knowledge as part of the comprehensive program that you're building? Because I assume that you do. You're too good at what you're collectively doing for that to not be the case. Yeah, so what what I, it's really so fascinating. And what I think is interesting is that because it's more of an objective observation, it is also non-threatening, right? When I'm there, I say, I don't know what you should be doing or not. So like, (laughs) please just go about your business. I am just a regular person here, but you are helping others who want your job. Like you are contributing it because we thousands and thousands of people are going to now learn like from you and they're going to learn like, what do they need to be successful in this particular role? But what I think has been interesting is we figure out, okay, is it, is this a very independent role? Do you need to survive in teams? Like what actually is at play here? And lots of managers will have said to me, like, look, the insights that you're bringing, it's like spot on of what we're, of what we're seeing. I can't believe that we're gathering that just after a few days. And what I say is it's just, it's not anything magic. It's just the observations because Everyone is so busy in their job. The managers are doing a zillion things. They're not sitting down and observing someone for long periods of time, typically, right? So they might not even know in some cases the exact work that's happening or the most challenging parts of the role or what should be integrated into the onboarding or the Mm -hmm. training. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating. All right, now I want to turn the table just a little bit and I want to talk about sort of your experience in the K-12 space and your experience in the generation space and how that collective set of experience leads you to shift teaching forward. And so what is it that you, Kelly Cassaro, are trying to accomplish with that work? Thank you so much for asking. So putting now this um, shift teaching forward hat on. So I was so fortunate to be approached um, by Wiley Publisher, um, and they were really looking to expand their workforce um, selections and thought that since, you know, I do have varied experiences across educational contexts, that I would have something to share with the world. And so even though in my head it was screaming, no, you don't have time to write a book. <laughs> I, um, with my full-time job and kids, I thought this was um, something that I really do feel I'm ready to share with the world. So how do we connect education to employment? And how can I help educators? So I'm speaking to educators, so middle school, high school, university instructors, and really saying, 
how can I help you give you a primer, a bird's eye view of the future of work, of how is the jobs landscape changing? How can you connect education to employment? What are social emotional skill frameworks that are out there that you can apply within your own context? How might you evaluate social emotional learning and the instruction within your classroom? How can you overcome or support students to overcome employability challenges, identify and overcome? What are strategies to increase employability within the classroom? And how do we develop curriculum with employability in mind? Because I think what was interesting for me is that, you know, in the K-12 space, so much it's either, you know, a vocational track or then the university track. And then like never the twain shall meet, right? So it's so focused on the very next thing that you're going to do in your educational journey instead of that like lifelong learning picture. And so why not start earlier to connect education to employment, right? Like we see, and even at Generation, we're starting to see ourselves as an economic mobility organization, right? We are seeing incredible income uplift for the roles that we that our graduates are entering into, which is life-changing. They're able to, you know, plan for emergencies, support dependents, all of these things. And so why not bring that into the classroom earlier? How can we bring the outside in? When I was doing research for a role for the book, I was interviewing a teacher and she said, you know, the saddest thing happened where one of her, you know, highest performing learners in high school, she was working at a fast food chain and she had incredible, she had been there for so long. She had been the one who was charged with training new joiners. She was like adapting training manuals and she was, you know, doing all of these incredible things. And then when she went to be interviewed for an apprenticeship, and a different sector, they asked her if she had, you know, what her leadership skills were. And she said she didn't have any. Right. And so it's like those. Oh, I know. I can tell where this is going. (laughs) You knew it. You knew it. And so it's thinking about how do we bring the outside in? How do we name these skills? How are we not afraid of these skills? And of course, everyone calls them something different, soft skills, which are not soft, 21st century skills, you know, employability, whatever they may be. But it's, the communication, the stress, the stress management, the empathy, the the perseverance, the growth mindset, all of those things that are essential for us to thrive in work and beyond. And so for me, it's how do we bring these opportunities and experiences into the classroom sooner? How do we bring the outside in? How do we really bring the inside out? You know, how do we make sure that our learners are and our students are really seeing and knowing their potential and like they just they don't have to just do a certain job because it is what they're exposed to within their family like I've had you know I've had some people say well everyone in my family's in the healthcare industry right right so clearly that's what I'm going to do yeah but it's what lights you up what yeah. do you want to spend your time doing what are your strengths And how do you want to bring that and show up in the world? So those pieces, I think, are just so, so important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We spend an awful lot of time thinking about some of those very same elements. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with 
a teacher who was really resistant to change for a whole host of reasons, right? Um, and for whatever reason, you know, a district or a school has uh, some mandate that we're going to do something differently. And when you really sort of dig in, it's not a resistance to change. It's, it's just an overwhelming sense of I'm not sure where to go or where to start or who's going to stand next to me while I do this thing that someone's asking of me. When all I want to do is, right? And when you really dig in and say, you know, the thing that you love the most Right. And it can be these mm -hmm. random things. It could be, mm -hmm. I love quilting. It could be, mm -hmm. you know, I love being the mad scientist in my kitchen or, you know, it's a whole host of things. And, you know, just trying to get those folks to realize that passion that you have about that thing you can bring into your everyday classroom. And if your kids can see you be excited about something, they will be excited with you. Right. And that you can use that excitement then to show them other things that they could be potentially excited about, whether you know a thing about it or not, doesn't even matter anymore. Really. 100%. And yeah. then naming those skills yes. that you are demonstrating while you're doing what you love. Cause I think that's essential. Yeah. People like they'll say, well, I didn't realize that I was showing empathy in this way. Right. Or, you know, we do a lot of role plays, case studies, simulations, drills within our work, a ton of practice. And we don't believe in teaching the technical skills in isolation. If a front desk agent is learning the steps to, um, to support an angry customer, we're consistently talking about, yes, these might be the five steps or this might be the acronym that you use to, to go through this, but how are you using customer focus and persistence? How are you using empathy? Like in naming those things and dissecting those moments. And I talked about activity mapping earlier. And I think one thing that I didn't mention that is really important is that even though I mentioned all those sectors and all those professions, and I've been to many different countries observing, so many of the same skills come out as breakdown moments, like professional communication, or like attendance, punctuality, empathy, stress management, so many of it comes regardless of the actual profession. So if we're able to teach some of those employability skills early and across lots of different contexts, then it could really serve our students. And if we're unpacking those, if we're digging into case studies and role plays and really bringing in that the reality, the real life of it all, it would be really important. And I think that you know, when everyone says the future of work, it's so like could be so demystifying or, you know, so difficult to wrap our brains around. But there's so many things now that we can work on and just some knowledge of, you know, basically like ever change, being ever changing. That's going to be the future, <laughs> being able right, right. to say, how can we adapt? How, how are you showing adaptability in the classroom? How can you show it in this apprenticeship? How can you show it in your actual role? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I appreciate that so very, very much, Kelly. You know, I always like to sort of wrap the program by thinking about the fact that I've got listeners that are out there in the world thinking, wow, you know, this this Kelly, man, she's got this figured out. But how do I do <laughs> what Kelly and her organization generation or even what she talks about in Shift Teaching Forward? How do, how do I take what I've heard today and take the baby steps to implementing or creating some type of change or environment within my 
own community of learners um, or employers, whoever it is that I happen to be sort of in my ecosystem, um, to be able to make a positive impact on sort of a next generation of folks that are going to be employed. So what do you tell a teacher um, or um, somebody who's working specifically um, to do things differently within workforce and workforce training? How do you how do you sort of change that paradigm forward? Yeah, so this is a great question. I think that one one thing that I found was really interesting in the research that I've been doing is how can we take those different skills frameworks and employability frameworks and make it work within our context and within our mission and vision, like mm-hmm. at a given school, university, whatever it is, because the contexts are going to be so very different. Yeah. And then how do we bring, identify some of those social emotional skills that we want to teach and how do we make sure that they resonate with our learners and our, in our population? How do yeah. we create our own definitions? How do we say, how can, how can this show up in what we want to do or what we love to do? So those, those are some pieces. How can we, and I have a lot of different um, mm-hmm. strategies in the book, but it's also how do we bring in the individuals in the community to really see that, for example, middle schoolers or high schoolers, they can really add to your business. They could Mm -hmm. support you, right? Like what opportunities can you bring in from the outside? Um, There are incredible things happening that I've been lucky enough to feature across our nation where there are these opportunities where there are specific, discrete responsibilities, let's say like a six-week program, where the individuals are actually solving real problems mm-hmm. in their community for mm-hmm. with business owners. And then you can really dissect as a teacher, you can help your students dissect, okay, what did you do first? Right. What did you do next? How did we solve this? What were the barriers that you ran into? What skills did you use to break that those problems down? And let's be open to feedback. Like what feedback did you receive on the work that you actually did? So I think it's really like creating that common language of skills, Mm -hmm. like skills taxonomy language, and then trying to just open up those experiences and really just not being afraid to like bring those experiences in. Um, It's difficult. I know a lot of teachers say this all sounds great, but you know, with a lot of the admin burden and standardized Mm -hmm. testing and all those things, it's difficult. So I think it's also the advocacy piece of the schools, like how, how can connecting education to employment in our own setting benefit all of us, right? And, And really help, help our learners in the long run to achieve at high levels because they're activating so much through this work. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much um, for that. And more importantly, thank you for the work that you do um, every day um, and for taking time out of that day to join us to talk about um, all of the incredible work uh, that's happening with Generation. And we're super excited to see the new book coming out in February. So thank you for making time for us today. Thank Thank you. It was so wonderful to be here. And I feel like we could have talked for hours and hours about each question. So I hope that <laughs> that it was helpful um, to listeners. And thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education. <laughs>